the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The only person who was qualified to throw the first stone that day was Jesus. Because he was the only one without sin. And he chose not to. Have you ever spent your time throwing a stone at other people only to find out the, uh, <laughs> the shoulder hurting is yours, not theirs? We all have been there. And today's message from Pastor Leighton Sheely is going to help us redirect our thinking. Whose job is it to correct and to guide and to lead? He's going to be in the 8th chapter of the book of John, right around the 3rd verse, so I hope you can follow along. It's always good to have the Bible open in front of you and study along with Pastor Layton. This is an outreach of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. We call it Study Verse by Verse. And uh, details about the church are on the web at highlands.us. Here's Pastor Layton. Verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. So Jesus is teaching, and suddenly the scribes and the Pharisees come and interrupt his teaching. Now, this is the only place in John's Gospel where this group appears together. In fact, there's no, the scribes are not mentioned anywhere else in this Gospel, which is one of the reasons why some people think it was written by the Apostle Luke. Now, the scribes were lawyers who were experts at interpreting and applying the law. Sometimes they were Pharisees, sometimes they were not. And as to the Pharisees, we know that with the exception of possibly Nicodemus, they were always hostile to Jesus. And that continued until after Jesus' death and resurrection. In Acts chapter 15, it tells us that some Pharisees believed in Jesus after his resurrection. We know that one of those Pharisees earlier in the book of Acts, was one named Saul, who we know as the Apostle Paul, because he was so transformed on that road to Damascus when he met Jesus. So this woman had been taken in the very act of adultery. That means that the witnesses had seen the act. No circumstantial evidence would be permitted in this case. That implies that this was a trap that was deliberately set. And the fact that adultery by nature requires two people and only one showed up also underscores the probability that the one who didn't show up was part of the planning to spring this trap on this woman who was going to be used for nefarious purposes. If it had been engineered, then provision was given to the man to escape And so they brought this woman caught in the act of adultery to uh, Jesus in the center of the court, and they, uh, they addressed him with mock politeness. Rabbi, this woman has been caught in adultery. The very act 
And then they demanded a ruling from him. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? Now, the seventh commandment out of the Ten Commandments forbids adultery. Leviticus 20.10 prescribes the death penalty for those who commit it. Jesus himself had upheld the Old Testament law. In fact, with regards to adultery, he had stated in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So they knew Jesus' position, and they thought they had him trapped. From a purely legal standpoint, these accusers were correct in saying that the woman deserved to die. Um, I mean, but it's obvious that their motives were not pure, because if it was justice that they were seeking, why would they bring this woman to Jesus at all? Why wouldn't they try her in their own courts? That's where the case like this would normally be heard. I mean, Jesus was not a judge. He was not a member of the Sanhedrin. And uh, although he was a rabbi, there was nothing of any legal difficulty here. There was a, it was a closed, open and closed case against this woman. And the author then gives us the clear clarity of the motives. He said that this was for the purpose of testing or tempting Jesus. And the implication is, is with the intent of causing Jesus to fail. They wanted to force Jesus to say or do something that they could use against Jesus to discredit or destroy him. Now, the accusers thought they had the Lord between the rock and the hard place, as we say. I mean, if he objected to stoning her, then he would be guilty of opposing the law of Moses, which would then discredit his claim to being the Messiah. And if, on the other hand, he agreed with the accusers that she should be stoned, then his reputation of having compassion towards sinners would be destroyed and his ministry would be discredited. Furthermore, the accusers could uh, uh, let the Romans know that he was in violation of their rules because you could only execute someone from a Roman court. And so they thought they had him between a rock and a hard place. Now, there was another option that Jesus had, and that is that he could say nothing. And if he said nothing, then nothing would happen to him, but the woman would most certainly have been killed. And you notice that Jesus doesn't choose that avenue, that Jesus protects the sinner. He came to save the sinner. Now, this issue also brings up a deeper issue, and that is how divine justice and mercy are harmonized. The scriptures are very clear that God is holy, that his law is holy, that the law knows nothing about forgiveness. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. So how then does God forgive sinners without violating his own holy law? How is it that God can be both merciful and just? And the answer is through Jesus Christ. You see, it's through his sacrificial death that all of the demands of God's justice were fully met. As Paul wrote to the Romans, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin because he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for his, by his wounds you were healed. So in Christ, divine justice and mercy are in harmony. 
As the writer of Psalms 85 said, his loving kindness, his grace and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. What God did is pour out his wrath against sin on Jesus Christ so that he could pour out his mercy and grace upon those who believe in Jesus Christ. So the scene was reaching a climax. You had the woman standing there. She was probably naked. They'd probably taken her straight from the scene to emphasize the terribleness of her sin. She was exposed, humiliated, terrified, about to be stoned. The scribes and the Pharisees were no doubt smiling with glee that they finally had Jesus where they wanted him. They thought they had him trapped. The crowd is looking on wondering what is going to happen next. So what, did, what happened? Jesus did something that was totally unexpected. He stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Question. What did he write? Answer. We don't know. Because it's not told to us in the scripture. Now there's a lot of conjecture that goes on about what Jesus might have written in the sand. Probably one of the most popular views is that he was listing the sins of the accusers. But we really don't know. All of those things are speculation. Now, Jesus had been attacked by the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus leans down and starts writing. Now, that probably was an indication to them, ah, we've got him. He's trying to figure out how to get out of this. Let's press our attack. And that's why they persisted in asking him, as the scriptures said. Finally, Jesus stood up. Probably so he could look at the accusers in the eye. And he said, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And then after making this startling statement, he stooped down and went back to writing on the ground. Now his reply was simple, and yet it was also profound. You see, it accomplished all kinds of things. It upheld the law since he didn't deny the woman's guilt, but it broadened the law to include the accusers. It avoided the charge of instigating an execution that would have been in violation of Roman authority, and it put the responsibility back on the accusers. It also mercifully spared the woman from being stoned. So Jesus here had masterfully neither minimized the woman's guilt nor denied the law's sanctity, but he had eliminated the grounds on which the scribes and Pharisees could make any judgment because they were just as guilty as she was. They were guilty of the hypocrisy that Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 2. Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment on somebody else, for in that which you judge another you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. The only person who was qualified to throw the first stone that day was Jesus because he was the only one without sin. And he chose not to. Verse 9, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. Some manuscripts have added convicted by their conscience, which is certainly implied here. It's interesting that uh, it began with the older ones. Now, it may have been that the older ones were quicker to realize they had lost this battle and it was time to leave. Or it had uh, may have been because the older ones... Uh, were more aware of their sin, and, and that's probably because they'd lived longer and therefore had a greater opportunity to accumulate sin. 
Or it may have been that the younger ones were so filled with zeal, they were looking for somebody who qualified to throw the first stone, and it just took them longer to figure out there was nobody there who was qualified to throw the first stone. And they went out. It's in a continuous tense. It indicates something like a procession until the woman was left alone. It's ironic because those who came to put Jesus to shame, (laughs) they left ashamed. And those who came to condemn the woman went away condemned. This is such an important illustration of mercy and grace, isn't it? You've been listening to another edition of Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, and I'm Mike Trout. Thank you for tuning us in today on this Tuesday. I hope you'll come back as we continue this series on the next edition of the broadcast. You can find out more about us, about this particular broadcast ministry, at studyversebyverse.com. The church is on the web at highlands.us. That's highlands.us. And I hope you'll let us know that you've tuned in. That uh, encourages us every time we hear from somebody that has joined us here on the air. That's highlands.us. Have a great rest of your day. Come back tomorrow when we'll uh, once again open the Word of God and study verse by verse.